0: Okay, Tori, I have a question for you. Um, Well, I I know that you know that I love science fiction. You've seen The Matrix, yes? Yes. Did you expect The Matrix to come up in a conversation today uh, knowing our guest and knowing what was going on?
1: Yes and no. Yeah. The idea of technology and where we're going with things. I think for a lot of people, we immediately think of the Matrix. It's almost like a kind of like the butt of a joke at this point. Yeah. Like everyone's like, oh, it's oh, like yeah. the Matrix. Um, right.
0: But, but when, I don't- when we talk about a an artificial womb technology. Yeah.
1: Did not see that coming.
0: <laughs> little freaky and very, very uh, important the conversation that that our guest led us to, towards today on a like a whole bunch of different issues. So first of all, welcome to the next episode of A Godzillion in One, where we're going to keep exploring these different ways to connect with each other and with God in this astounding universe of His. Uh, but our guest today is Dr. Matthew Eponett, who is the Executive Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, or CBHD, as it's called, uh, you know, in, in, in short, but holds a PhD in theology has a, with, with a concentration in Christian ethics. Um, uh, he's like co-written and co-produced six documentary films where he's addressing, uh, you know, bioethic issues, bioethics. Uh, this is a really smart guy, but he does live at the intersection of culture and, technology and the academy and i will just say as a pastor it's also really clear that he exists in a community of faith and his church is important to him and all of that winding together i thought that was i thought that was a pretty fascinating conversation
1: oh yeah of uh, i knew it was going to be interesting just because i know very little about this topic so i knew it was going to stretch me a little bit I don't think I realized how important this conversation is going to be for everyone. Yeah. Like this is not just like a nerdy person podcast. Um, and you guys made that pretty clear of the issues that are coming up. They really do affect as a, as an individual, somebody, you know, somebody in your family, like this stuff is just coming up more and more. And so how do we enter into these conversations? How do we think, better? How do we, how do we learn better? Um, it's just so practical. So I was, I was really surprised at how much I got out of this more than just, wow, that was really interesting. It was like, oh, wow, I need to research some stuff or that was really encouraging or it was good.
0: Well, it, it ends up being one of those things where you could have a reaction of oh boy, I'm going to be overwhelmed, and I'm going to have homework. <laughs> the deeper into this thing we went, the more fascinated I was, mm-hmm. and the more, like you said, the more encouraged I was to to just remind myself, oh yeah, this is important stuff. This is important stuff. Now, I will tell you, I there's a strange paraphrase of a quote by G.K. Chesterton that I try to pull off. From memory. Mm-hmm. And I How'd do you have.
1: Do? Did you do a good job?
0: Um, I don't. Well, I'm going to give you the direct quote and then you can you can let me know. So Chesterton's a brilliant British writer, uh, 20th century, and he was speaking about something that he saw happening. And and really, it was uh, the whole idea of eugenics. If 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 mm. you understand what the, the ugliness and horror of what that would have been. But he was beginning to speak out against this before people were really even giving it serious credence, particularly in places like, uh, you know, you start to think of how Nazi Germany mm-hmm. and places like that would use things like this. So Chesterton had a quote, and, and this, is the, this is the longer quote, the wisest thing in the world is to cry out before you are hurt. It is no good to cry out after you're hurt, especially if you are mortally hurt. It is no answer to say with a distant optimism that the scheme is only in the air. A blow from a hatchet can only be parried while it is in the air. So you got to deal with these things before they happen. If I'm not mistaken, I made the quote a little more graphic. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) It worked though. It worked. um,
0: But you get what he's saying. And what I'm saying is that these are conversations that as, as wise strong thinking people, we need to have these conversations before they land on top of mm-hmm. us, not mm-hmm. after. And there yep. are things in in technology that are happening so fast that we need to be having these conversations now.
1: Yep. I think the other thing I loved that Matthew kept coming back to was the idea of loving your neighbor does not mean you have to agree with your neighbor.
0: Yes. yes, Whether your
1: neighbor is your actual neighbor or it's your spouse or somebody in your family or a friend. Like newsflash, I bet we all have somebody we love dearly who we don't agree on things. Sometimes big things, sometimes current events and topics. Um, But he kept coming back to this idea of you don't avoid the conversation because it makes you uncomfortable or because you know you disagree. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to have that conversation and to ask curious questions. And even if you never agree, that's okay. Yeah. So I think yep. that was. Yep. That yep. was a really good point too.
0: No, that's right. So if you're interested in a conversation that will cover things from uh, from artificial womb technology and, and the good part of that, and how that could be leveraged in a in a not so good way to uh, genetic editing. To uh transhumanism and people who are thinking that somehow they can improve and move the human species to a different kind of species to how do you have loving conversations about the coronavirus and how we who are trying to navigate this world uh, in 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 a with a Christian worldview if you're interested in how all of that works and a reference to the matrix um then I think maybe this episode will be for you. So why don't we just drop in now our guest, Dr. Matthew Epponit. Matthew, thank you so much for being with us. I, I was talking to you just a few minutes ago about how I found out about you and found out about your organization, but I want you to just give us sort of a running start at at. Uh, your story and and your family and how you got to where you are. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit about you?
2: Yeah. So my interest in the issues of bioethics really comes out of personal experience. I had a family member back, oh, 20 plus years ago now who had cancer and was in a hospice situation. And that began to really raise some questions about um, how do we think about these difficult, difficult decisions that have to be made in the context of these very serious illnesses. And then I had other family uh, who were experiencing infertility and being confronted with some of the options that are available there. And again, just really trying to think through um, these questions about beginning of life issues. So these are sort of two extremes, the beginning of life and the end of life issues really got me started thinking about these questions. And then as I looked to see um, where were the organizations, who were the people that were addressing these questions, I found the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity and, and Trinity International University, uh, which is in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I was living in Louisiana at the time, so <laughs> it felt like a whole world away. Uh, But we went, my wife and I went for a visit there and then I enrolled and uh, did a master's degree in bioethics there at Trinity. And then I worked at the center first as a student worker uh, and then full time. And so I was there from about 2002 to 2007. Uh, I left there and worked in the pro-life movement for a while. Uh, I worked in California at another uh, bioethics center and did some documentary filmmaking on bioethics issues um, while I was working on my PhD. And then, uh, really through the providence of God, two years ago, I was visiting some family in Cleveland and I got a phone call, uh, asking if I would be interested in being interim director back at CBHD <laughs> hmm. and, uh, yeah, just, uh, not something that I had ever imagined would happen, but, um, you know, God just worked all of the pieces out just right. And so I've been back at CBHD now for two years, um, and just really excited about the work that we do there. We really focus on kind of three areas. Um, one is mentoring the next generation. So the MA bioethics program that I mentioned before, uh, engaging the academic arena of bioethics, uh, and then helping to resource uh, church leaders and pastors on these important questions that, um, you know, inevitably crop up in the in the par- parishioners' lives um, right. and, and can really be um, difficult because pastors aren't specialists in bioethics Right. right. Uh, well, and I- some of these questions have really you know difficult technical dimensions difficult ethical dimensions and and ultimately some difficult pastoral dimensions uh, right in, in helping people through these illnesses health and wellness things
0: okay so let me just let, let's just go there right now uh, before we get into a couple of of issues. Um, I've heard you, if I'm not mistaken, I've heard you before say that sometimes some of us are almost forced to become amateur bioethicists. And so what I want to do now is, uh, let's put the cookies on the lowest shelf possible. So we've got listeners here who are pastors, but we have many, many listeners who are not. And so, um, you, you hear this and, okay, we need to grow. We need to learn. But what about someone who's listening right now who is going, ah, oh, I don't know if this one's for me. They're going to start <laughs> using big words and it's beyond me or it's boring or it's irrelevant. How do you, can you speak to that? Because I, I, I have a, you know, a couple of more questions following that, you want to just kind of help folks to, to be okay with this conversation.
2: Yeah, I mean, these are the issues that we're all going to deal with, either in our own lives or in the lives of someone that we love. Um, There are kind of four areas that bioethics touches on, and and those areas touch all our lives. So I mentioned already beginning of life issues, so infertility, reproductive technologies, um, end of life issues, um, euthanasia, assisted suicide is a huge topic in our country. Several states have legalized assisted suicide. But how do we as Christians think about that? And how do we really parse through what we believe about uh, the value and the dignity of human life? And then there are these kind of middle of life issues, um, things like we're dealing with with coronavirus and vaccine mandates, things like um, organ transplantation. Um, How do we decide who gets the next available liver or kidney? Um, Those kinds of questions. So um, if you think about all of the friends that you have in life, my guess is that somebody you know has been through infertility and had to make some tough decisions there uh someone you know their parent perhaps has been very sick been put into hospice and and that's been a very difficult and fraught time um i have a colleague who's a kidney transplant recipient so you know she's dealt with all of these kinds of questions about um qualifying as an organ uh, recipient finding someone that she matches with uh, and those kind of things so you know these are these are these are life and health issues that we we all deal with uh in our in our time here on earth
0: okay so so um i i, I want to say um john Kilner, uh who uh wrote a book uh i was asking you earlier i think that was was that like 10 years ago that it's been a while his his book on on bioethics and why Christians need, I'm, I'm blanking on the, on the title. Uh,
2: I think it's why I can't, <laughs> it's very important, but I can't get it precisely right without oh, looking well, it up, well. uh, but I believe it's why the church needs bioethics.
0: That's it. That's it. That's it. it that's could it. could be
2: why bioethics needs the church, but I think yeah. it's why the church needs
0: the Well, bioethics. I just remember, and, and this is probably a, a paraphrase of it, but there was a place in there where he said wisdom is not so much a single destination or even a particular journey, but it's it's how we travel or it's a way of traveling. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it starts to equip us for these things that we're dealing with now. And I want to save a little bit of time for what perhaps we will be dealing with in the future and some of the things that are just on the horizon, maybe even here when it comes to medical technology, um yeah. How, how, do you, how would you suggest for any of us to move forward? Let's get into some of the particulars here in a minute. But how do we move forward in becoming better um, equipped and, and, and like this bridge between the academy, as it's sometimes called, and churches mm-hmm. or just me in my living room? with an onslaught of information that's just coming at me, how do I take step one to becoming better informed? Especially if this isn't my, like my thing, you know, if it, if this was someone and I can kind of nerd out about this a little bit, but, (laughs) but if, if you can't, and you're like, ugh, I'm already, my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. How, how does someone take step one to being more informed?
2: Yeah, well, I think one of the you mentioned the book John Kilner wrote. One of the things I could really recommend very highly. There's a book uh, that John Kilner and Ben Mitchell wrote. They were both um, professors at Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, and they worked together on a book called "Does God Need Our Help," which is a great question, and you know, um, goes right to these kind of healthcare decisions. I mean, we we pray about uh, our health. We pray about the health of others, and that's absolutely right. Um, but when we go to the doctor, sometimes we're asked to make decisions, and then the question is, does God need our help? And that is a great book it's uh, it's it's actually relatively small in size and thickness, uh, and it really walks through these kinds of issues. They lay out a framework of um, making life, taking life, and faking life. So those reproductive technology issues, making life, taking life, um, issues we maybe are more familiar with, uh, abortion assisted suicide, things like that, and then the faking life issues, which you were kind of just hinting at there, um, the things that might be coming down the road uh, right. before us. They're laying out what are the issues, what's involved in them, and then they're trying to talk through. So from a, a Christian perspective, as someone who believes that that God is alive and that the Bible is true, how do we begin to think about these issues of making life, taking life, and faking life?
0: So uh, we could talk about any of those, and perhaps we will. I, I think there is an issue that is certainly something that we've all been wrestling with over the last 18 19 20 months whatever it might be uh, when it comes to not only this coronavirus but then how we move forward and how we how we as christians embrace technology trust scientific technology don't trust it uh, tell me how these last couple of years have been for you and what you're seeing and learning um as we move forward
2: yeah i think on the one hand um it's been very reassuring i've never felt more needed
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'll bet good job security
2: um but you know this these are important questions this has been um it's something that was on the radar of a few people um but it has come to fruition in our lifetime in a way that um even some who who saw that there was the potential for a pandemic i think you know the the reality of what's happened and how it's played out um, has has presented a whole host of challenges, and, and and not the least for churches who are trying to decide what does it look like to love one another well. What does it look like to uh, not neglect meeting together? Um, you know, there's there's just been some really difficult questions that have arisen, um, and 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 we're experiencing what it looks like to make serious ethical decisions in the midst of uncertainty, uh, in the midst of incomplete information, in the midst of changing science. Um, And so uh, I think one of the things that we all want to be able to do is to trust those who are in authority over us, to trust the scientists. And there have been times when that's been difficult because as the science has changed, the message has changed. And that can be confusing. It can be off-putting. And I think people have have been off-put by that. And so it does take uh, careful deliberation, careful consideration. Um, I'm a big fan of community decision-making. And so I know at my church, I've tried to work with our elders and pastor uh, when we've had questions about, well, should we stop meeting? Should we start meeting? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we start meeting, what does that look like? Um, and uh, I you know, I don't have all of the answers. We have someone in our church who, as it turns out, his expertise is on airflow uh, inside rooms given the HVAC system. And that's just been a wonderful resource to talk through. Well, the the air in here changes out every seven minutes, um, and uh, and we've tried to. Uh, this is true both at my church and at the university where I work. Um, try to respect those in authority over us, um, even when sometimes we might not have agreed with the the either the letter or the spirit of what they were asking us to do, um, but try and respect their authority and comply with it to the best of our ability. Um, and so, you know, all of that to say, the Ultimately, the answers here begin with uh, all of Christian as does all of Christian life with uh, cultivating a godly character um, and trying to be a person who who truly seeks to love the neighbor, um, to see the neighbor's interests as at least as important as my own interests, uh, and to move forward in that kind of framework when it comes to thinking about, okay, here are some of the specific questions that we have to get into that we need to answer for our congregation or for ourselves personally
0: so so, give us uh, from your perspective then um what does that look like when we have these um uh, the these conversations with someone with whom we probably can guess going in that we're going to disagree on x factor or y issue and we 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 know I don't think it's a news flash to anyone to say that we're we're dug in on some of these things, and people have probably come to their conclusion one way or the other on a few of the big issues around COVID, how do we now move forward exhibiting that love that you're you're talking about? What what does that look like in practical terms?
2: Well, sometimes it means um, taking a little bit of a step back and trying to evaluate, maybe I shouldn't be quite so dug in on this. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a little bit more room for me to give on this. Um, It's always good to hear the other person out. Uh, especially when you disagree, I mean, you know, let's listen to all of the reasons why you think that way. And I think this way um, and try and do that without anger, without judgment, but just to really understand, because sometimes what a person is thinking, what another person is thinking actually fits together pretty well for them. And if you can take the time to, to, to understand it and to hear them out, uh, you can come to understand how that fits together for them and maybe you'll begin to understand where, okay, well, I, I see that we agree on these three things, but we where we really disagree is here. So if we could talk about factor X and why I, I think this way about it and why you think that way about it, maybe we'll find a middle ground. Maybe we'll be convinced to change our mind. Maybe they'll be convinced to change their mind. Um, but it does take a little bit of a stepping back and saying, okay, let me let's talk this through. Let me hear you out.
0: There's a couple of things that are coming to mind when you say that. Um, it, one of the questions that we try to encourage people at our church when when we talk about this in smaller settings, not even this issue, but just what is it like to be in community together, is ask curious questions. Like, like a question that starts with a phrase like, help me understand mm, yeah, yeah. why. It just sounds so different than... Matthew, I think you're. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and there's yeah. just so much of that going on in the world. Um, the the second thing that that strikes me when you talk and you you mentioned this earlier is that sometimes the science is catching up with us in real time as things unfold. Not just with this this pandemic, but but in other areas, as fast as the science is moving, it's still catching up with us in in reality. And uh, I'm curious what you do or, or or even how you would help us to just continue to remind ourselves to stay in that constant mode of learning and, oh, okay, here's the next bit of science. How do you do that even as you are formulating, you know, real stances on real issues?
2: Yeah, and, you know, that's just, it's a real shift for us because I I think most of us, I mean, myself included, we tend to think of science as this kind of settled thing, you know. Um, right. Two plus two equals
0: four period.
2: Right. Yeah. We're not probably not going to be reevaluating that anytime soon. I don't think so. I don't think so. But when we're dealing with uh, something like a novel coronavirus, uh, a brand new um, never seen before disease, um, the facts are just going to change because our understanding is going to change. And so it really is a, a, a conscious shift in our thinking that, okay, this is the science, this is what they know today. And I do think that we can trust that by and large, our scientists are trying to do their best. I, don't, I just don't think there's people out there in the sciences that are really trying to pull one over on us. Mm. I think they're trying to do the, the, the best that they can um, with limited data, with incomplete data. I was looking back, preparing for this at some notes that I had made for a talk I gave back in December before, uh actually it was the, it was two days after the Pfizer vaccine was first approved for emergency use. So you can think back to that and how, how early on that was in some sense. Uh, and some of the notes I had made, and one of the questions was that we don't know how long uh immunity lasts for someone who has had coronavirus. And here we are in October, and we still really don't know the answer to that question. Right. And that's because it takes time to, uh, gather the data, to analyze the data, uh, to have enough people who've gotten gotten it once, had some time and been tested or had it again or whatever happens. And we just haven't had enough time for that whole cycle of research to go through. Um, and I, I mean, I'll admit to being disappointed. I was hoping that we would have a good and solid answer to that. I do expect that as time goes by, we'll begin to see the research converging on an answer to that. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what that answer is. I don't, I just don't know. Um, and so, but that doesn't mean we still have to make decisions about things like vaccines in the face of not knowing, uh, the, all of the facts about natural immunity. And I know that has, that's a very contentious issue. There's a lawsuit in California right now over exactly that question. Um, why do I have to get the vaccine when I've had COVID? And we just don't have a good answer to that. Um. The the clear answer we do have is if you've had covid and you get the vaccine, you're more well protected. That's clear how well you are protected. If you've only had covid and not had the vaccine, we mm-hmm. do not know the answer to that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so we're back to that. How will we even as uh, Christians who coexist in in a faith community who will come on different sides of that issue? We need to come at this with a with <laughs> intellectual humility because. The science is going to keep flowing in on this.
2: Yeah. And I, so, and I think part of it is that we do try and accommodate one another. So I know at our church, we had for a time a room that people could be in where uh, everyone was wearing masks. No one was singing. Um, uh, so that and, and it was very spread out so that those folks who just wanted to exercise every caution right. uh, had an opportunity to do that, but also to gather together. Right. So I think that, you know, that's one of those kind of uh, right. compromise third ways that, that sometimes we can make. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and here we are now communicating, uh, via the internet. And of course the, so many churches as ours did just made, uh, were able to stay in touch with their folks and still many are, are worshiping with us online. And so, yeah, so there are so many different ways that this is happening. Let's, let's move, let's take that idea of the science constantly coming in and us trying to keep up with it. Let's take that to a couple of these issues that you've, that you've talked about. And I, I might, I, I, if it's okay, I'd like to just ask you one that I was reading on and you could just tell me, no, Greg, this is, this is old science done. Um, but I was fascinated uh, with some things that were, uh, I, I believe this came out of a hospital in in Philadelphia, and the whole AWT thing, and this artificial womb technology, and and it seems to be like, if if I'm not mistaken, this was a, this is a form of technology that would provide support for a, a a, a baby that's born prematurely, so that he or she has a better chance of lung development, right? right. And that's an awesome wonderful thing. And yet it then begins to take us down this, these bioethical questions. Am I am I getting that right? I mean, is that a...
2: Yeah, this is a technology that's uh, being researched. Um, the real technical term, if, if we want to throw out a real technical term, is ectogenesis. So uh, being gestated outside uh, of a body. Uh, they've done a lot of study with lambs, actually, which is kind of an interesting place to start. Um and as you mentioned, uh, you know, this is the most promising use for a technology like this is if a baby is born at say 21, 22, 23, 24 weeks, very very early, uh, the lungs would not be developed to be able to provide an environment in which uh, that baby could go on to uh, continue to develop and be born uh, fully healthy. Um but of course, with a technology like that, people are going to want to push it, some people, uh, and and consider things like um doing ectogenesis or doing this outside the womb, artificial womb technology for the full uh, length of a pregnancy. And that raises some really interesting questions about Mm -hmm. the relationship, particularly between the mother and the child that she's carrying. Um, I mentioned before that I'd done some documentary film work on bioethics issues. And uh, a couple of the films that I worked on were on surrogacy. And this is a real issue in surrogacy, um, where there's concern about the bonding between the surrogate mother and the child that she's carrying, knowing that she's going to hand that child over to another couple. There are many issues with sur- surrogacy. That's just one of them. And so if you think about this sort of artificial womb technology, um, where there, there just wouldn't be a mother at all who's carrying the baby, um, there's so much about fetal development that we don't understand that this raises a lot of red flags for me. Um for that kind of long term right. uh, right. artificial womb, but in terms of that what I would think of as a bridging technology to bridge across maybe from twenty four to thirty two weeks, uh, it's a tremendous development, and i uh, I hope that that they're able to put that in place before but, long.
0: But it's a great example of what you were talking about with this is where we need bioethicists to i'm sorry, to digest a <laughs> lot more journal articles and a <laughs> lot more. Uh, of the fancy words and, and begin to, to digest that. And then to, to share with us, okay, not this is, Hey, you've got to think my way, but to help us with a narrative that I'm quite sure is already being shaped by certain people. uh, And, and what's the old adage, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. That's exactly
2: right. Yeah. Not all progress. Not all change is progress. Just because yeah. You can, doesn't and mean you and should.
0: it just seems like we are constantly there. So here's a, here's something that could just be extraordinarily helpful in some ways. And then you immediately tell me an, another angle on this that I'm sorry in my sci-fi loving brain that sounds like the matrix that scene in the yep. matrix almost Am exactly I,
2: yep that's exactly oh what goodness. it looks
0: like yep. oh my goodness so so when somebody hears something like this <laughs> we're also back to just that whole oh this is overwhelming i don't even want to i don't i don't even want to think about this and yet these kinds of issues we need to at least be aware of and and be prayerfully saying god how do we move forward in this world how do we yeah. speak even Prophetically in this world.
2: That's right. Um, I was talking, I had dinner with some colleagues the other night, and we were talking about ways in which um, Christians, um, there are a number of ways in which, you know, we live in not opposition to, but in contrast to much of the rest of the world, but not when it comes to technology. Um, You know, we all have cell phones or smartphones, and we kind of think nothing about it. Um, and what this colleague of mine was trying to do is really challenges to think about our use of technology. Is there, is there a countercultural or a Christian way to be uh, a smartphone owner? Yeah. Um, and that, and it just goes right down the line from there. Um, and so the reproductive technologies is another example of, um, you know, I think there are some some Christian considerations some theological considerations that need to go into those kind of things. And then as we see these newer developments, like the artificial wombs, another one is the CRISPR technology, which uh, people may have heard about. So all capital letters, CRISPR, it's an acronym. Uh, and I've just begun reading Walter Isaacson's book called the code breakers, where he talks about the development, the, the women and men who uh, helped to discover this technology. Uh, And I just saw an article or two last week. They are already using it to help um, blind people. Uh, Some of them are colorblind, and they're helping to uh, give them a a larger range of color that they can see. And some are, uh, are almost entirely blind or blind, and they're working through this CRISPR technology to give them sight. And that's wonderful. That's a great thing.
0: So let's well, stop for just a second and give us, again, cookies on the bottom shelf, uh, CRISPR technology. Can you just just give that to us in yeah. two easy sentences, which is a hilarious question to ask of you, but <laughs> give it a try.
2: Well, it's a, it's a gene editing technology, so it can go in and change your DNA. Uh, and so there are genetic causes for blindness. Not all blindness is caused by genetics, but some of it is. And um, for those that it's caused by genetics, and we know exactly where on the DNA that the problem is, they can use this, uh, this CRISPR technology, which some have described as a cut and paste. Uh, we're all familiar with cut and paste from using mm-hmm. our uh, word processing software. Uh, and it can do a cut and paste, and, and, uh, and, and it looks like uh, fix the blindness. Uh, sickle cell anemia is another area where they've been doing some great work with uh, this gene editing technology. But there are other uses of it. And one of the real uh, key questions is going to be whether we can... So if you're blind, and it's a genetic cause, and we use CRISPR to fix that blindness, it'll fix your blindness. But the same technology could be used in a very early embryo. And it would fix the blindness not only of that embryo, at least in theory, but it would make a change to the DNA of that embryo's children. When it grows up and has children and the and the children of that children, and on down through the lineage of uh, of humanity, and so that's a considerably different question. Should we be making changes to the DNA of humanity from here on out?
0: I'm thinking um, of a hundred years ago the debate around eugenics yes and this this is a 21st century potentially a 21st century uh, road back towards that.
2: It could definitely put, be put to those uses. But of course, that's not where it starts. It starts right. with healing people. Right, and then right. it's another change, another change, another change, uh, another thing we can do. But is it something we should do? Um, if you've ever seen the movie, and it's, it's getting quite old now, but it was just eerily uh, prescient in its predictant, predictions of what could happen is uh, Gattaca. Uh, yes. um, we watched it this summer with the uh, college students that were home for the summer at church. Uh, and it, it's amazing how well it stands up. It came out in ninety seven or ninety eight, and um,
0: it uh, really does. It really does. It also yeah. brings up if you really want to, I'm sure you did, but you can have <laughs> conversations about predestination and the, everything. Is is just that is an interesting movie. Yeah, Ethan nature and nurture comes Herman. up in there. As yes, well. yeah. yes, yes. That's a good one for people to to watch. Um, so okay, so we're 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 really kind of now showing some examples of how. Technology is there and what a wonderful thing. You gave two examples of it. And yet there is this specter of it being misused and abused, of yeah. course, in this broken world with we humans and our nature towards our our proclivity towards those things. Could I could I shift gears? I really do want to just get your take on a on a couple more of the things that you've mentioned in a in a general way. Let, let
2: me if I could. Well, So the day that we're recording this is the day after the big 60 Minutes interview with the Facebook whistleblower. And I just want to point out that these kinds of questions are all connected. They're all on a continuum. So Facebook, Twitter, social media can be put to great, great use. I'm sure your church makes use of it. Our church makes use of Facebook and Twitter uh, can be put to great, great uses. But we're also seeing ways in which they can be put to great misuse and to great harm. And it takes real wisdom, real prudence um, to be sure that we're engaging them knowingly. Um, I don't know whether uh, you would have seen the documentary that's on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Yes. But one of the things it points out that I think people don't necessarily realize is that you're seeing one set of posts and I'm seeing something completely different. Uh, So not everyone's seeing all the same thing. And that is where some of these real problematic issues come in. And I'm not trying to condemn Facebook. I'm just trying to point out that it's a technology that could be used for great good, and it's a technology that we're also seeing misused. And that's kind of one realm, the social media realm. But a lot of the same thing is true in the medical realm, that there are technologies that come out that can do a great deal of good, but if misused, could be harmful or could lead to just kind of unknown results that we just don't know what's going to happen.
0: Okay, wait now. Now you've got me going down a different road. We may never even get to my question.
2: I apologize.
0: No, this is what I wanted to, to talk to you about. Uh, when when you say that, and we're talking now, not just about a biotechnological revolution, but the technological revolution in general, and how we're all riding this wave together. Uh, I, first of all, I'll forget this, but I just have to say out loud what you're challenging us to be. Truly, let's go Old Testament here. Are the men of Issachar? who understood their times and knew what they were supposed to do. Right. And that's really what you're challenging us to do is to be wise consumers and participants in all of this. Yeah. But when you talk about and I I really I would just love your 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 viewpoint on this when you talk about the the manipulation basically of conversations online. And what I would call uh, not my term, but these echo chambers that we are all ushered into. Uh, that's an area that I'm very fascinated with. My question to you is you immediately started talking about medical research. Do Are medical researchers and are those in the scientific communities, are are they prone to being ushered into echo chambers as well? Does that kind of thing happen? I mean, I like to think of science as being this, this you know, uh, unbiased, impersonal, we're just going to stick with the facts. But I'm curious, the more and more we rely on technology to connect us, do they get ushered into echo chambers as well? Or, or is that way off base? I, I'm sure that it can
2: happen. And of course, you know, we all have our political views, our theological views, um, even if our theological views is atheism that's a theological view mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but when it comes to actually doing the academic work the peer review process is at least supposed to, mi- to mitigate against that so you know you do your research you put it yes. out there for your right. peers to review it and then yes. it goes um widely public for uh comment um not to too much plug my own stuff or our own stuff but Come the on. center for bioethics and human dignity Um, We offer a membership, and part of that membership is uh, a publication called Dignitas. It's a quarterly peer-reviewed publication. And we actually right now have a whole series going on uh, on the exact CRISPR question that I mentioned, this question of should we uh, edit the genes of very early embryos? And we have two Christian thinkers who take different views on it, and um, they have been responding to one another. Um, and so that's that's one of the ways in academia yeah. that it, um, we yeah. we sort of intentionally try to uh, to break that echo chamber. Uh, but I'm sure that it that it still happens. You know. Well, um,
0: I I think, and I completely agree, and am, and am encouraged by your answer. But when you talk about peer reviewed uh, research, that just underscores to me that extra question we should be asking when somebody on one of these infamous social media platforms tells us hey well i heard or my cousin read or so and so had an article of whatever and there's just a plethora of of i guess you'd call it information that's just flying around that i it's good for us to ask so what's the source on that how do you can you right. give us just a sentence or two of how we can begin to sniff out things that we should pay attention to and things that we can kind of Maybe just put off to the side what what are what are some things we should be listening and looking for?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really challenging because um, i I think we've all experienced people that we admired and that we thought were trustworthy say things that we we kind of think, "Ooh, mm, I don't know that I would have uh, expected to hear that from them, But when it comes to um, particularly some of this medical information that we see uh, going around uh, one of the one of the things that has caught more than one person out. Uh, even people of great reputation, is um, what's called preprint. And so uh, authors or uh, academics will do a study. Um, they'll gather all of the things, write it up, and and um, they'll submit it to a journal for peer review. But sometimes the journal will go ahead and do what's called a preprint, and they'll make that available for people to look at before it's been peer reviewed. And um, unfortunately, some of those have had errors in them, that the peer review process catches, but because it went out as what's called a preprint, people saw it before the errors were caught. And so if you hear that something's a preprint, I'm not saying you have to dismiss it, but I am saying you need to be very careful with it.
0: Because we're not letting the full process, the full scientific process do its thing.
2: That's right. Okay. That's That's great. That's great. That's exactly
0: what I was hoping we could get was just, Mm -hmm. that's a question we can ask we just became a little bit more informed i'm not sure we're amateur bioethicists at this point <laughs> but we're a little bit better informed can we now move towards that uh i believe you were calling it that fake it
2: faking part, life yeah
0: faking life yeah. uh there is certainly something called uh transhumanism and sometimes people will talk about h plus mm-hmm. and uh i would you just i have a whole bunch of questions to ask you here but but could you just Get us started on this. What does that mean? Well,
2: transhumanism is a movement uh, that wants to see. That their view is that um, human human evolution has reached a point where we're not making a lot of progress quickly. Uh, it may maybe humans are still evolving and will evolve into something else, but we have all of this technology and all the scientific knowledge at our disposal. And so, what we as humans need to do is to just grab hold of the mechanism of evolution and just drive it forward and start making changes to ourselves, making changes to humanity so that we can become whatever's next after humanity. So, and they call that the post-human. So with humans, after humans is post-humans and in between are transhumans trying to move from human as we know it to post-human. And there are a variety of different ways in which people want to go about that. Um, Some of them want to upload their consciousness into computers. Some want to connect their brains into computers with the computer brain interface. Uh, others want to enhance their body with either chemicals or with cybernetics and these exoskeletons, these sort of things. Um, so it's, uh, it's by no means a monolith. Um, there are many, many different views within it. Um, but it's... Um, you know, it's really very interesting. And in some senses, it's a kind, it can become a kind of um, a religion almost. There's um, There's a guy who's kind of coined the term post-secular religion. And what he means by that is that there seems to be something inherent to human beings where we have this religious impulse. We have this need to believe, we have a need for rituals and all that. And so if we don't believe that God exists, what are ways in which we can, we can um, meet those desires for uh ritual for, um, for worship even uh, and, and transhuman, some people who are involved in transhumanism see that, uh, that movement as exactly that kind of thing is almost kind of a religion to them. Not everyone's. So I don't want to point with too, too broad a brush, not everyone.
0: But, that but that is out there. So there's a couple of things. First of all, um, I, I believe Mark O'Connell was describing that in his book to be a machine where this this man actually even came up with a kind of liturgy mm-hmm. and almost a worship posture towards um really towards coding, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. And, it, yeah. It,
0: and and so I know that sounds maybe out there for some people, and you're like, okay, now you guys are talking science fiction. But but these kinds of technologies. Early as they may be, are still being given serious um, consideration, and we're we're early enough in this that that we, as people who actually believe that God should be in charge, I was when you were talking, I was thinking we're right back to to God needs some help, so let's go ahead and push this thing a little bit further. Yeah, but we're we're gonna. I used the term earlier. our role is to speak prophetically into some of this. And we need to not just roll our eyes. I mean, right. there's I, I'm not going to get this right. Uh, but uh Chesterton had a great quote where it was like you you can't you can only defend a hatchet coming at you before it's buried into your head. Because once it's there. The, the conversation's over. And so there are, we as as Christ followers who are trying to figure some of this out need to connect and have like serious conversations about things that to some people will seem just science fiction. I mean, when Ray Kurzweil is saying, no, I really do believe I want, I want my life, my brain uploaded, there are people spending real money trying to figure this out.
2: Well, and that's the thing, uh, is the amount of money that's being spent. So you mentioned Ray Kurzweil. Um, he actually works for Google now. So, yes. uh, you know, Google has a lot of money. <laughs> and they are they are putting a chunk of it towards these sorts of transhuman projects. Um, one of the other people who has a good great deal of money and is putting money into these projects is a man named Elon Musk um and i don't know that elon musk considers himself a transhumanist but um was it 2 or 3 months ago uh, he had a big unveiling on youtube of these brain computer interfaces that he's been working on or that his team has been working on um and you know this is this is out of the transhumanist playbook it's it's definitely part of the movement um part of what they're desiring and looking for and somebody like kurzweil of course he has his own independent money you may have seen um one of these keyboards that has his name oh, on yeah. it. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. yeah. So he
2: has the money from those patents and he's now has money from Google. Um, there's a place called the Singularity University. Uh, and if you go and look at their home at the bottom of every page, there's the Google logo, there's the Cisco logo, um, several other, you know, not small uh, companies that are, that are putting money into this. And so, uh, with the amount of money that's being put into it, it is going to move forward and it is going to go places.
0: And so, again, these are things that we can inform ourselves of, not just out of a sort of a weird curiosity, but as a preparing ourselves for conversations that will directly speak to um, the dignity of human life, the the Imago Dei, as as we. Preachers might call it, you know, and and we need to be equipped for these conversations as they're coming towards us, not on the back end of this thing. And if I'm tracking with you, in just about every one of the other examples you've given in other areas, there are wonderful sort of uh, benefits that are offered. And you're not, we're not suggesting, hey, everybody, let's just be Luddite and and let's avoid all technology. You're. You're calling us, as my friend Andy Crouch says in a different venue, is to be good consumers of the technology.
2: That's right. To be wise consumers, um, to be careful consumers. Um, And again, it's the whole spectrum. I'm not telling people to delete their Facebook accounts. I'm I'm telling people to be a careful consumer, a careful user of Facebook and of Twitter and of some of these transhuman technologies. Um,
0: Would you say, uh, um, well... I know you would say this, but I'd love to hear how you would articulate it. The 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 biblical worldview of what we're talking about now is just so powerful when when I start to think of people trying to talk about the the finiteness of humanity or the reality of death. And, you know, of course the Bible calls death an enemy as well, but tell me what your view as a as a bioethicist. From a Christian worldview point, uh, preach. <laughs> what 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 is our we we have a hopeful answer to some of what we hear in in these areas when people are start talking about uh, this. Um, yeah, right. Yeah.
2: Well, a couple of things um, come to mind. One is just the importance of our embodiment. Uh, we're embodied creatures. Um, Jesus Christ came in a human body, and that's significant. That that's not just some random choice. Yes uh, that God made to incarnate the sun as a, as a human being. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, I think maybe before we began about the, all of the neurons that we have and, and, right. you know, there, there's a lot of research being done, um, on things like mirror neurons and, uh, our embodied presence. And of course we felt some of that through the pandemic where we've been more isolated, we're doing things over zoom rather than in person. Um, and there just is something to be about uh, about being embodied, being in the same room with someone. Uh, one of my one of my favorite quotes of all time is from uh, Jim McClendon, and he talks about the virtue and the practice of presence, uh, of being with another, being for another. And then he, he concludes and he says, and sometimes it just means putting the weight and warmth of one body next to another. You know, yes. the the hug, yes, uh, uh, yes. Uh, the, the touch on the arm, the pat on the back. You know, these are. These are real, concrete, meaningful aspects of being human. And I think that the transhumanism movement loses sight of that, those realities. Um, so th- so that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of one thing. Uh, and then another is you, you mentioned um, uh, that death is an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. So there's a, we right. can be realistic as Christians that there's a tension there. And we see this a lot when it comes to people who have been injured or people who are, are nearing the end of their life because of an illness, that there's a real tension between uh, overtreating and just doing everything and, and, and even almost going too far with treatment on the one hand uh, and then doing too little. And that's, that's what the assisted suicide movement looks like. So th- there is right. a real tension between um, uh, this overtreatment and undertreatment and knowing the right way, the right amount of treatment, the right kinds of treatment, the right timing of treatment, th- these are all questions of wisdom. Um, and, and the Bible, the Christian religion, um, our theology, I mean, it's all about helping to develop wisdom uh, and wisdom aimed at loving others well. And, and that's exactly what's going on in medicine is we're, we're trying to wisely decide what it looks like to love this person well given this set of uh, realities of sickness or injury or whatever it is. Um, And I think as Christians, we can be very realistic about that because we understand that the world is fallen, that this is not the way that things were supposed to be. And so people get injured, people get sick. Uh, And thankfully we have technologies, we have techniques, we have medications that can treat, um, but they have to be given in the appropriate amounts at the appropriate times. And that's where the real wisdom comes in. Um, and so the, the, this whole transhuman movement, um, I, you know, it, it just moves in such a, an opposite direction from any of that because it forgets and neglects the body and embodiment. Um, it, it doesn't acknowledge this reality of fallenness, of this, this real tension that death is an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. Yeah. Um, and so when you start with those kinds of premises, you can't kind of help but uh, be misguided and end up in, in, in wrong places.
0: Yeah, I just so appreciate the brutal honesty of the New (laughs) Testament and the the inescapable hope of the New Testament. Uh, That yes, Paul calls death an enemy, and yet he says, "Where is your sting?" You know. And so I love living in what you're calling those tension points. Um, We could keep talking about this, Matthew, for a long, long time. And I just appreciate I appreciate the way that you're navigating these things. And we're going to include in the show notes. Um, ways that people can learn more about your organization and maybe some, some books and things like that, because I do hope that we together can just become more informed. And I think that will help us to actually have more loving conversations.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But uh, I've got some questions for you here at the end that are rapid fire. Okay. And this is just for fun. Uh <laughs> Uh, if, if that's okay, but I did want to give you one last word. Is there anything else that you would say? Okay, I want you as, as I want your listeners to be thinking about this. Is there, I just want to give you one last, um, moment.
2: Yeah. I just don't think I can oversight overemphasize focusing on loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor well, and then making use of technology in whatever kind wisely. And then just absolutely rejecting the notion that the answer to the problems of technology is more technology.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, let's do this now. Uh, We, just for fun, we, we, talk about giving these way to go awards. We don't really have a tangible award and it's not like a Templeton prize. There's nothing <laughs> fun, you know, that we can give to people, but, um, we just like giving shouts out to, uh, you know, people, organizations, artists, uh, that are just doing really great things in the world. So if you were to nominate someone or some organization, uh, for a way to go award, who would it be?
2: Ooh, Wow. Um, that's a great question. I, you know, I've, um, I'm a big fan of the work that BioLogos is doing, yeah. um, trying to really bring together serious scientists and serious theologians um, yeah. and have some great conversations and kind of acknowledging up front, you know, we're not all going to agree about all of this, um, but there's some things that I think if we can get out on the table and we can talk through, we can all do better. Um, so I okay. nominate them. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's great. That's great. That's first time they've been nominated. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Now these are just sort of one-off questions here and we'd just love to just get an insight a little bit more into you. What's one person that has made a lasting impact in your life?
2: Oh my goodness. There's so many, it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah,
0: that's tough. Isn't um, it? Um, um,
2: just such a recognition that, you know, we, we all stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Mm. Um, i I mentioned earlier uh ben mitchell he's just recently retired from union university um and is helping to care for his father uh, as he goes through some very serious health challenges um, in his um, later years of his life Uh, he was a real mentor to me when i was a student at trinity and um, uh, he's been a good sounding board for me on and off through the years and um, just really appreciate um, all that he's done not just for me for for many of us uh, younger younger folks in academic
0: academia That's great. What's one thing you're loving these days that we should check out? Now, this can be a book, this can be a (laughs) documentary, this can be a a series on some channel that you're streaming. What's one thing? It could be a new album that dropped. What's one thing you're loving that we need to know about?
2: Uh, If I'm going to nominate anything just because I I want people to watch it, uh, it's Black Mirror. Except for the first episode, <laughs> skip the first episode. Yeah, it's, you're yeah. right.
0: You're right. You're right.
2: But Black Mirror it refers to the shiny surface of our phones and tablets, um, and so it's a technology themed. It's not a Christian thing at all, but it raises just some really fascinating questions about um, technology, where it's
0: where it's taking us. Okay, what's one way you're connecting with God these days?
2: One of the things that I started at the beginning of this year. Um, and I, uh, I, I let it drop for a little while and I I need to pick it back up, but I've been writing my way through the Psalms. So I, uh, we have at work these, um, like Moleskine type notebooks and I just sat down and I just write one, just handwrite one page a day from the Psalm. Sometimes that's a whole Psalm. Sometimes it's, it's about seven or eight verses on a page. Um, and just the act of, of slowing down of handwriting, Really uh, helps me to uh, focus on what the psalm is saying, and and of course, such 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 a beautiful portion of the scriptures.
0: Do you stay? I'm curious. Do you stay in in a particular translation, or does it kind of move around, or you just open up your Bible and boy, Psalm eighty two, and you start writing?
2: I just started with Psalm one, and yeah, um, yeah. just the plan is to go all the way through it, and I'll I'll have a collection of notebooks at the end there. and, uh, yeah, I've been doing it out of the ESV just because sure. that's what we've been using at church. Um, yeah. but, um, you know, there are oh, lots great. of great translations. Oh, out that's there. great. So find one that's that great. appeals to you and, and give it a try.
0: Oh, I love that. What's one lesson that you wish you could have learned sooner?
2: You know, I, I just, I, I've often wished that someone would have sat me down and explained a few things to me, but I know I wouldn't have heard it. You know, you know, I think we've all kind of had that experience.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. but I, I do think that the, um, it, it just took me a, a longer than it should have. Let me put it that way. It took me longer than it should have to be open to just really hearing what, uh, people who disagree with me really have to say and really ha- are, are able to articulate. Um, if I had, if I had been able to do that in my teen years, my early twenties, uh, things, things would have gone a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The
2: other thing I can give you, uh, this might even be better is the best advice I ever got. Um, and at work, uh, someone pulled me aside one time and they said, um, let me just give you one piece of advice that I think will make a difference for you." He said, if you could take the emotion out of your reaction to things, you'll go a lot further. And that is by far the best advice I have ever gotten. That something happens, you just kind of sit with it and take it in and uh, and try and understand it rather than to react out of anger or fear or or whatever it is. That was just terrific advice.
0: Okay. Okay. What's one trait you had as a kid growing up that you still have today?
2: Um, Curiosity.
0: (laughs) Of course. I'm just real
2: curious about a lot of different things.
0: That's great. Okay. Last one. One way... You're moving into this next year with hope.
2: I mean, God's ultimately in control. Um, you know, we run around down here and 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 we do our best as we're called to do, but God is ultimately in control. And I, you know, that's one of the things as you grow older that you you just see again and again and again that um, I mentioned my coming to CBHD. There, I could not have scripted that. There's just no way. There's no amount of manipulation and scrambling that I ever could have arranged that to happen. Uh, that was 100% God lining that up and, and not just lining up the job, but the way that the the, the pieces fell into place for us to move from where we were. And I mean, it's just way too much to go into, but God is ultimately in control. And so how can I, but have hope that he's going to work everything out for his good purposes in the end. I love it.
0: I love it. That's a great way for us to just wrap this up on the sovereignty of God. (laughs) So Matthew, one more time. Thank you. Uh, and, and we're going to share your resources and, and thank you for leading and navigating many of us through conversations that that are we're not quite equipped to have on our own. So, uh, so grateful for people like you.
2: Well, thank you and blessings on your work. I'm so grateful for this podcast and for the, the work that you're doing, both in St. Louis and all over the Internet now.
0: Thanks for listening to a Godzillion in one podcast. Subscribe, share this episode with a friend, and head over to gregholder.com for the show notes. And as always, stop and notice this week the shockingly and seemingly endless ways to connect with each other, this world, and the God who made it all. We'll see you next time.